psalm that we're going to look at today reminds us that when sin is in our life, we cannot hear God. It blocks the fellowship with God. When sin is in our life, we don't have peace with God, and we cannot sense the peace of God. When there is unconfessed sin in our life, even though it be a little thing to us, it was a big enough thing that Jesus had to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven of it. You see, we do not sin in isolation, nor do we sin without consequences. The consequences may not seem or appear to be immediate. But when sin enters our life, it breaks the flow of fellowship between us and the Heavenly Father. And until it is forsaken and forgiven, we do not have the ability to hear God speak to us, nor to find relief from our hurting. This psalm is a familiar psalm in that it was written by David as he records what happened to him during that year of sin, when he had not listened to God, when David had forgotten the benefits of God, the blessings of God, he had forgotten that God had taken him as a nobody out in the fields as a shepherd boy and exalted him as king. He had forgotten his roots. He had forgotten his heritage. He had forgotten the song of Psalms that said, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And when God is your shepherd, you don't need or want anything out of that. But David had forgotten that and one day he walked out out on the balcony and he saw another woman and said, I want that. And he wanted it so bad he killed her husband so that he could have it and cover up his sin. David had forgotten his benefits. He'd forgotten God's goodness and God's grace and God's love and for a year he lived in separation from God. God's hand was heavy on him. The presence of God was far away from him. And although David would have gone to the tabernacle and he would have offered sacrifices and he would have gone through the motions of religious activity, yet there was no joy in it. And our churches today are full of people who go through religious motions but have no joy. And why do they not have joy? Because there's sin blocking the fellowship. It's not as it should be. It's not the way God designed it. And there's an explanation of the problem in verses 1 through 5. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now let me tell you what I think the number one lie is in the church today. It is that little things don't matter. It is that I can commit a little sin and it's not a problem. It's acceptable. I can tell 95% of the truth and it's okay because it's mostly truth. 
And lying and a lack of integrity is what is keeping us from a fresh wind of the Spirit of God blowing through our lives because as long as we play the game and shave around the edges and begin to say, well, Lord, this doesn't matter, and this doesn't, then the next thing won't matter and it'll be bigger. And the next thing won't matter and it will be bigger. Now, God has some instructions for us, those of us who want to hear from Him. And they're found in verses 1 and 2. He tells us what He wants us to do and what is available to us through Christ. Now, look, if you would, at verses 1 and 2, and I want you to see several things, but I want you to listen to this quote first. Bill Eliff says, The wellspring of truthfulness yields a river of redemptive results. Honesty is as refreshing as a mountain stream. And it is God's intended means to wash and purify our hypocritical lives. David has lived for a year in sin. He has walked away from God. He has lived in an adulterous relationship. He has set up the murder. He has lied about this. And all the while, Nathan the prophet knew it. And one day, Nathan comes in and he confronts David with the sin And David thinks he's talking about somebody else and says, you know, you ought to do something about that. And Nathan says, David, you're the man. You're the one guilty of this sin. And out of that, David writes this psalm. This psalm is an acknowledgment of a man who has been confronted. It is an acknowledgment of the release that comes when we get honest with God and we admit where we are and who we are. And I want you to see the four things. First of all, his transgressions were forgiven. The word transgression means rebellion against authority. David had rebelled against God's authority. There are at least two of the Ten Commandments that he had broken. Don't commit adultery and don't murder anyone. He had been guilty of both. David rebelled against God's authority. And, but for his transgression, for his rebellion against authority, he found forgiveness. Let me tell you what that particular word for forgiveness means. It means lifting off or rolling the burden off of you. David had lived with this burden. He had lived with this guilt. He had lived with this shame. He had lived with fear of being found out. And God came in when he acknowledged his sin and he lifted it off. Secondly, his sins were covered. You know the word sin means to miss the mark. David had missed the mark. He had gotten off track. And David is not alone. The Scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But look at what happened. His sins were covered. It means they were under the blood. They were out of sight. What God did for David was not only he covered him, because you can cover it and not cleanse it, but God covered him and he cleansed him. Let me give you some references to write down. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Chapter 43 and verse 25 of Isaiah, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now you say, God doesn't forget anything. Nobody chooses not to remember. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. His transgressions were forgiven. His sin was covered. His debt was canceled. The word iniquity there means twisted. It can actually be translated moral crookedness. His moral crookedness is his twistedness. It's got a flavor to it 
of an absence of respect for another person. Do you know it's iniquity in the eyes of God to have an absence of respect for another person? A person who's a different color than you are, comes from a different socioeconomic background than you do, to not treat them with respect, to not honor them with respect, that's iniquity in God's eyes. It's not a slight thing. It doesn't matter whether you think it's just the way you were raised. God says until you deal with that, you are guilty of iniquity, moral ungodliness, to not show respect. That's what the word means. He says it's not imputed to me. It's a financial terms. It means it's not put on your account. You don't have to pay that bill. He says that God has taken my iniquity, my impurity, and he has not held it to my account. He's wiped out my debt. He says the Spirit has set him free. Why? Because he got honest. He got honest. You see, cleansing only comes through confession, and that is being truthful to the core. Not pointing fingers and saying, well, if you knew what they did to me, it doesn't matter. Nobody's done to you what people did to Jesus, and he was sinless. It's not blaming others. It's not pointing fingers. It's not justifying ourselves. It is saying, I have sinned. It's blaming myself. That person didn't cause me to sin. I chose to sin. I chose to respond that way. I made the choice to act that way. I made the choice to take a step in that direction. The Scripture tells me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That means that the power of God in me is stronger than the power of the devil that's in the world, which means I don't have to succumb to temptation. I have a power inside of me. If I succumb and I sin, then that's my choice. Nobody made me do it. It's my choice. But he's been set free by God, and he says to confess. The word confess is to say the same thing as. It's to agree with God. It's saying when God says it's sin, I don't just say, well, it's just a personal problem. It's sin. And he talks about no deceit, no guile. God wants us to understand he has instructions for us that when we get before him, our transgressions and our sin and our debt are all taken care of. But he gives us a reminder of what happens to those who refuse to repent in verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. David talks about his affliction in verses 3 and 4, and there's an admission in verse 5. He, he's committed not only the sins of the flesh, but he's committed the sins of the Spirit, and his whole life's falling apart. Every bone in his body is hurting. Every, every joint feels the pressure of the sin. Everything about his life is coming apart at the seams. He's, he's emotionally shot. He's mentally shot. He's spiritually dry. He's physically worn out. Now, by that verse, by verse 5, write Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper. 
God says if you try to cover something instead of confessing it, you won't prosper. And David is acknowledging, and it's this, the key to this is built around three words. Look, if you would, at verses 3 and 5. The word acknowledge. I acknowledge my sin. I admit it. The, the word you can put by my iniquity I did not hide is uncover. Uncover. I acknowledge, I uncover. Verse, uh, the next verse, I will confess my transgressions, the word confession. Did you notice that David didn't blame Uriah for leaving his wife alone? He didn't blame Bathsheba for taking a bath on the roof. He says, it's my sin, my iniquity, my transgression. Dr. William Culberson used to preach a message entitled, The Sin of Forgiven Sin and the Consequences of Forgiven Sin. Here was the point of the message. The longer you wait to get right with God, the deeper, the harder, and the more painful the consequences. You can get forgiven, but you cannot release yourself from the consequences of it. And the longer you and I wait to seek forgiveness from God for when we sin, the greater, the longer, the deeper, and the more painful the consequences are of those actions. David's sin was forgiven, but we know there were consequences. The baby died. Absalom rebelled. Amnon raped his half-sister. David's house was a wreck from that day on for one reason, because he wasn't where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he fell into sin, and he walked into sin, and he embraced sin, and the consequences rippled through his family for the rest of his life. You see, we cannot choose, listen to me, we cannot choose what the consequences of our actions will be. You may choose to sin, you may choose to walk away from God, but you cannot choose or control what the consequences of that choice will become because you unleash something in those consequences in what your children see, in what your children hear, in what your spouse sees and hears, in what your work associates see, in what it does inside of you. There is something that happens that you lose control over. David had no control because he resisted the duplicity and the deception, continued for a year, and his children saw it, and they lost all respect for him because they said, he's not a man after God's own heart. You never know what one day, one week, one month, one year of you not walking with God will do and what the effects of that will be in the life of those you love. And so there's a call to repentance. There's an exhortation to walk with God in verses 6 through 9. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Now, there's a couple of things. First of all, hearing God is tied to prayer. Prayer is not you doing all the talking. Hearing God is tied to prayer. He's praying when he's overwhelmed. And that word, selah, is a word we looked at a couple of years ago. And it means to pause and think about it. Pause and think about what God has done for you. 
Pause and think. Think about what meditate on, dwell on. Let it permeate your mind and your heart what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Dwell on it. Praise God for it. Pray about it. Work it through. If prayer is not something that we just do at mealtime. Prayer is not something we say, God, bless those and, and bless those that it is our duty to pray for. Amen. Most of our praying is not praying. It's just trying to get off the hook. It's just going through emotion, but we don't know how to have a conversation with God. That's a whole other subject. Secondly, hearing God is not only tied to prayer, but hearing God is tied to the Word. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be. This is, verse 9 is written to Baptist. Do not be as a horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now, here's a quick test on verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you. Here's a quick test. What have you done differently in the last seven days based on what you heard last Sunday? See, if nothing changed, you didn't hear anything. By the way, you're still responsible for it. Whether you are listening or not, you are here, and so you're still... Whatever God says to you out of His Word through a Sunday school class, through a preacher, wherever it is, in a seminar, or in your personal Bible study, God holds you responsible to do something about that. What are you doing differently in light of what you've heard? And He says, don't be like a mule or like a horse. A horse wants to buck and a mule wants to resist. And sometimes God has to take a bit and a bridle and he has to rein us in. And I want to tell you something. God knows how to get our attention. He knows what bit and what bridle will get our attention. And if we do not listen and learn from the Word and applying the Word to our life, God will have to treat us like a horse or a mule. And he'll have to rein us in, discipline us, break us like a horse has to be broken, Rain us in like a mule so that we'll quit bucking and we'll quit resisting and we'll start yielding to him. The word instruct has to do with wisdom. The word teach has to do with knowledge. And the word guide has to do with obedience. I know the mind of God and I know the will of God because I know the word of God. And the word of God tells me his mind and tells me his will. Now listen. Matthew 13 says, it's a parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower is Jesus, the seed's the Word, the soil is us. Is there anything wrong with the sower? Yes or no? Only 12 of you believe that. Is there anything wrong with the sower? Is anything wrong with Jesus? The seed is the Word of God. Is there anything wrong with the seed? then the problem is the soil, and that's you. And of those four illustrations that he uses in that parable, three out of four don't bear any fruit because the seed never gets down deep. You know why your life doesn't work, why you don't hear from God? Because the seed falls on the surface of a hard heart at church 
and a mind that is made up that no matter what God says, I wouldn't respond to an invitation if it was the last thing on earth I had to do because I'm worried about what people think of me. My pride is so important, and the seed falls on hard ground, and you walk out into that parking lot, and the devil comes like a bird, and he snatches that seed up, and you're gone, and you're out of there, and it doesn't bear any fruit. It never takes root in your life because it fell on concrete, which is your heart. Only the soil that is deeply tilled and fertile and ready can receive the Word of God. I mean, I've got a message on Matthew 13 called going to church doesn't do any good. And for most of you, it doesn't because you're not changed from week to week. You're the same that you were when I came here 13 years ago. You act the same, you think the same, you give the same, you live the same, you serve the same, or you don't do any of the above. You're doing the same thing you did 13 years ago. Why? Because the seed, the Word of God, falls on you but never gets in you. And you wonder, why do those people praise God? Why do they get excited? Why do they love the... Why why does God say... I'll tell you why. God's Word's getting in them. It's not getting in you. And until you plow up fallow ground, you will never produce a harvest for what God wants to do in your life. As long as the Word of God is on the surface and on you but not in you, you won't get it. And all the preaching, I could have Billy Graham come up here and preach every sermon he's ever preached and you wouldn't get it because you're not open to what God says to you. You see, the problem's not the preacher. The problem's not the pulpit. The problem's the heart. The reason we can't hear God when He's speaking is because our heart doesn't want to hear Him when He's speaking. We don't want to know what God says because we may have to rearrange our priorities. We may have to miss something that we plan to go to. We may have to change our lifestyle. We may have to adjust our minds. We may have to turn the television off. There are a lot of things that may happen, and so we don't want to give up. And so God has to come in and say, well... I guess I'm going to have to use a bit and a bridle on that one. He's bucking a lot, but when I get through, he's going to quit bucking. I'm going to to rein him in until he gets tired of bucking. Folks, let me tell you, God knows what will get your attention. He knows exactly how to get your attention. And I either find my instruction through the Word or I find my instruction through His discipline. You say, well, God's not disciplined me. Then can I tell you on the basis of God's Word that if you've been in church and you're a church member and you've been baptized and you've been, I mean, you could be baptized everywhere you ever want to be baptized, but if God's not disciplining you, you're not His child. Because the Scripture says He disciplines those whom He loves. And if He's not disciplining you and you're living in sin, guess what? If, if you're living in sin, if you're living in immorality, if you're living in, with idolatry in your life, if you're living with stealing from God and God is not disciplining you, my friend, you better go home and get with God and find out, do I even know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Because if he's not doing to you what he did to David, you're not saved. Now, don't get mad at me. Go read your Bible. It'd do a lot for your theology. Go read your Bible. See what it says. I'm speaking to people in this room this morning. Oh, you want God to help you in the times when you're hurting, but you don't want to go to God and find out what He really wants you to do. But David, David changed. 
Man, a year was all he could take. He was dying anyway. It was almost as if he welcomed Nathan to come in. And he threw himself on the mercy of God and he exclaims his praise in verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. You see, when I'm in tune with God, when my heart is right with God, when I'm cleansed and walking with God in fellowship, shouting for joy and being glad and rejoicing is not a problem. I want to do it. Why? He's made me glad because He's forgiven me. He's washed me. He's cleansed me. My transgressions are gone. My sin is covered. It's not been imputed to me. My account has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. I am set free and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I can shout. I can praise God for that. How's your praise? I'm just not much of a singer. Well, get over it. I've stood by a lot of people that weren't much of a singer. But they learned how to praise God. Well, I'm not just a demonstrative person. Well, you could drop your bottom jaw and let a sound out. Well, I'm afraid somebody think I was a charismatic. Well, God knows they think you're a corpse now, so... I'd rather calm down a fanatic than try to breathe life into a corpse. Well, I'm worried about what people think. Well, who are you trying to please? Your neighbor or the Lord? Folks, listen. The pardoned, the pardoned praise. You think anybody's been there pardoned out of prison, walks out and goes, Well, I wish I was back in there. Man, I love that place. Wear the same thing every day. Eat off plates. Got a little bar so you can see through. Got a little view to the room across the other side. Guy's got the same thing I got. Pardon people, praise God. Pardon people, rejoice. Pardon people, sing. Save people, rejoice. But save people who have let sin get a stronghold in their life. Have no song. There is no song. I want to ask you today. Having trouble hearing from God? Having trouble hearing what God wants to say? You're reading the Bible and doesn't make any sense. Sounds confusing. Doesn't come alive to you. Then I would encourage you to find your way to this altar and find out what praise can be when you're pardoned. You see, God is not standing here today. God is not inside of you today trying to say, I don't want you to get right. I want you to live in misery. I want you to be miserable. No, he came to set you free. But you've got to let him. And the only way he can set you and I free is when we say, Lord, I have transgressed against you. I have sinned great sins against you. 
There are no little sins and no big sins. There are it's just sin. I have sinned against you. I have broken your heart. My sin cost the son his life. And I come before you and I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me and not hold it to my account and set me free and restore the joy of my salvation in my life. That's the invitation. Let's stand. You come even before we start singing. You need to do business with God this morning. You step out and come right now. Come on.